it's Friday, and this is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, I got that Friday energy. I am excited. I am ready. Got that Ryan Seacrest energy. You, you know, gave me the, this is yeah, Spain I'll and Fitz. I'll take the Ryan Seacrest <laughs> energy. You know, I tell people all the I'll time. I'll take the my, Ryan Seacrest paycheck. Well, my, my God. I just want to have his dashing good looks. Uh, I don't want to have to work as hard as he does. I tell everybody, like, no, my goal no. here is to be, like, the Kmart version of Jesse Palmer. Like, oh, no. Don't be the – no, no, no. Yeah, that can't be, be your, your no. goal. That can be what people say behind your back. But can we aim – can we aim bigger the Kmart? No, no, no. I figured somebody's like, oh, I can't afford Jesse Palmer, but here's like a, a less good looking, shorter, kind of oh, no. dumpier version of him. But less, <laughs> the hair's okay, but it's not as I'm good. actually concerned with any comparison at all. And I do not mean that as an offense to you, but even Kmart might be like, it's not good enough. It's not close enough to the original. No okay, one's so going to no buy like it. I'm like the bargain bin version of like, like you know, like in my family, Maybe we didn't grow up with store. Name, like we went to pick and save for our toys as a kid. So I'm like, like the pick and save version of Jesse Palmer. My God, he's a good looking man. I don't know how we got off on Palmer. that. Oh. <laughs> I'm a pick and Palmer. All right. We got a ton of action coming up this weekend. Uh, the excitement in my voice is because we are going to get last weekend with two triple headers. I expected coming in there might be a couple of games that weren't going to be, I don't know, electric. It turned out to be a better weekend than I expect. But I think when you look at the matchups, there's a lot to be excited about this weekend as we, again, have a massive weekend of football for the playoffs going on. And one of the we'll, – we'll kind of go through all of them here. But I think one of the matchups that interests me is the first one out of the gates that we'll see on Saturday where you have the number one defense in the NFL – with the Los Angeles Rams taking on the number one scoring offense with the Green Bay Packers and a real opportunity. Like I did not expect to see what we saw from the Rams last week. And when I was watching the Rams against the Seahawks, it almost felt like the Ravens a few years ago where you knew that once they scored seven points, you were done because you weren't going to score on them. That's the fire that the Rams were playing with last week. And I'm interested to see if that actually transfers over against the Packers offense that has been dynamic this year. Yeah, we talked about this on Around the Horn today. When you have a number one defense taking on a number one offense, historically, at least in the last uh, couple decades, it's been a three-to-one split where three times out of those four meetings, the defensive team has won the game. But but my take on this is as good of a defense as the Rams have, they don't feel dominant in the way that I think about certain other defenses in recent years where they take over a game. I'm not sure why that is, you know, statistically they are number one, but to me, when I think about the Packers offense and as aggressive and efficient and high powered as it's been, I'm not as worried about them falling prey to the way the Rams do things. And I think part of that is of course, that on the other side of the ball, there's so much uncertainty and lack of consistency from the Rams offense and a ton of turnovers, 25 turnovers, 16 of those from Goff, And that's before he was injured. Right. So to me, it feels like the mistakes will come on the Rams side. The lack of offensive firepower will come on the Rams side. And that will offset anything that the defense is going to try to do to that Packers offense. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you. I mean, the unfortunate thing here for the Rams and their fan base is it's going to feel to me like opportunity lost because the defense has been so good. 
but they have to be. I mean, the defense is going to have to play perfectly just to try and keep them in the game because I don't know where their points are going to generate from. Interesting to me also to see what Aaron Donald is capable of doing against uh, the the offensive line, even without Bakhtiari. That offensive line has been stellar, but with him going into the playoffs, they were the top offensive line in pass rush win rate and in pat in run block win rate. So shows you how good they've been. That that matchup intrigues me because of that one portion of it, but I'm not sure by the end of it, it ends up being a great game because the Rams don't have any offense. The Bills-Ravens game feels like it is going mm. to be an epic game mm-hmm. on both sides. Like, this is, to me, such a prove-it game for both franchises. It's such a prove-it opportunity for two young quarterbacks, two young teams that look to me like they should be good for the next several years. You just got to capitalize in this moment. Yeah, this was a sticky one for me in trying to figure out how they're going to match up because I don't think you could look at previous year's meetings for any real indication, particularly because of how much we've seen Josh Allen improve as a player. You're looking at a strength-on-strength matchup where the Bills and Josh Allen react to the blitz better than any other quarterback. And on the opposite side of the ball, the Ravens love to pressure. 45% of the time, they're sending extra guys. So you've got... A strength on strength where Josh Allen's ability to to to, to produce touchdowns and to score um, on the blitz is going to maybe offset something that the Ravens are going to want to do. And on the other side, you've got a Bills team that's been really, um, you know, really been susceptible to a good rush game. They gave up a, a 160 plus rushing yards per game, third most in the league in the regular season. But they've also been pretty good at stopping quarterbacks. They haven't given a quarterback. Uh, more than 61 yards rushing in two seasons, and that includes a matchup with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. So if we think that that Ravens rushing attack, Lamar Jackson included, especially in the snow where he has a bit of an upper hand on defensive players trying to react to his jukes, um, how does that reconcile with the Bills actually being really effective when it comes to scrambling quarterbacks? Well, and, you know, there's this this progression we've seen from Josh Allen this year, and you and I have talked a lot about it, obviously, Uh, But when you think about what Josh Allen's opportunity here is, it's just another step. They have so many weapons. And and Mm. to me, I I think if you're a fan of any team, you got to look at the way the Bills have built this franchise to say, okay, we think we got our guy, but we want to be 100% sure. So we're going to get him incredible weapons. It has absolutely worked for their ability to push the ball. But you're right. I'm not sure that the Bills are going to be able to shut down uh, the the rushing offense for the Ravens. So I feel like this is going to be a super high-scoring game, which is exciting in, in and of itself, and I think a tough one to call. We'll make our picks later on, by the way, in the show. Uh, one of the games that I don't think is going to be as close, Browns-Chiefs, I would love to find a reason to think, uh, you know, obviously being an AFC West fan, I'd love to find a reason to, to, to root against the Chiefs here, to think the Chiefs can't get it done. But to me, the Chiefs have looked at times bored this season. They look like when they wake up and decide they want to turn it on, nobody can stop them. I have a hard time seeing the Browns, as well as they run the football, being able to put up enough points to stop Kansas City. Yeah, it would have to be the run game eating up the clock and dominating a Chiefs team that's been pretty poor against the rush. And it would have to be a red zone defensive issue for KC. They allowed the worst percentage in the league on opponents, 77% of their opponents' trips to the red zone resulted in a touchdown. Uh, Browns were third best in scoring a touchdown when they got into the red zone. So if the Browns can march the length of the field and take advantage every time they get inside the 20, they have a good shot of putting up points. The problem is they also have one of the worst secondaries in the league, and they're going up against Patrick Mahomes and all of his many weapons. So if you are 
slowly moving down the field with the rush attack and taking advantage while Patrick Mahomes is throwing a bomb that takes <laughs> no time off the clock, you just might not have enough time to catch up to the kind of offensive power that the Chiefs are going to bring. You know, we have saved the most overhyped for last. The Bucks Saints. Like, maybe I'm that guy that was into the <laughs> band when they were indies, so now that the band's popular, I just don't right. like them anymore. I just, I feel like this whole Brady versus Breeze thing is just, it just kind of makes me want to throw up in my mouth. And yet and then, it's wild they've never met in the playoffs before. What, like, doesn't which, it feel like we've done this a million times? Yeah, we, we've done it. That, that tells you how long 2020 was. The other side <laughs> of it, too, is like, I love this whole you can't beat a team three times. Like, so when can you be confident? If you can't, if you can't be confident after you beat a team twice, like right. if it was the shoe on the other foot, no fan base would feel good about having lost twice. But I love this argument that, well, the Saints beat them twice during the regular season, so they certainly can't do it a third time. Why? They're better. Yeah, Woody Page, I think, today on his chalkboard called this a game for the aged. Instead of the ages. Um, this one, you're right, overhyped. It's all about Brady Brees, but for, for good reason, right? It's history. These are guys that are trading back records throughout as they continue to play well past the age that I think most of us imagine. And this might be Brees' last time, right? That that retirement seems imminent. Um, I think this is a tougher one to call than it should be, considering that I think the Saints beat them by a combined 46 points in the regular season, right? But I do think we've seen some progress from the Bucks. To me, the issue is that progress came against the Falcons twice, the Lions and the Vikings, and they almost lost to a Washington football team with their fourth-string quarterback. So is it a mirage, what we've seen from the Bucks and the kind of progress that they've allegedly made? Well, those are the teams in the playoffs. But in the meantime, we've got a ton of NFL news involving teams that aren't still playing. Coaching hires, an investigation, much more. We'll get you quickies next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. For several fan bases across the NFL, today feels like the day of ultimate hope, ultimate resurrection. Today's the day your franchise has it figured out because today's the day you have a new coach. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Sarah, we got a lot to get to around the NFL, so Mm -hmm. let's do it the way only we can on this show with some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. (laughs) Nothing but class on this show. We're really subtle in everything we do. All right, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. The quickies you need to know today, mostly NFL-based. And let's start with some coaching news across the league. Uh, Robert Salah is the new coach of the New York Jets. Now, there was a lot of speculation, Sarah, that the Jets might be looking for an offensive-minded coach to help develop whatever they think they may have with Sam Darnold. But instead, they go with an incredibly hot uh, coaching uh, commodity and a defensive coordinator that's had a ton of success with San Francisco and somebody that uh, was in high demand. So they land a coach that a lot of people seem to covet and now he'll have his opportunity in New York. Yeah, Robert Sal is a guy that a lot of people were interested in. His name's been floated around for a number of years. I think this is a great choice for culture. This is a team that's become a laughingstock. And while you could go out and try to find the guy that you think is going to fix the Sam Darnold situation, I think this is a big-picture hire that's looking beyond the next year or two and on to the future after that. How do you have leadership, energy, positivity, um, toughness, like all these qualities about him? They, they, there was almost a uniform 100% of the guys spoken to at the Niners about this guy said they loved him. They loved him. So you bring that energy into a place that needs to, you know, what's that thing that uh, Kyrie had going on? Um, 
you know, the the I'm totally forgetting the name, but basically got to smudge. You got to go smudge the energy from Adam Gase and get it out because you, you really need a complete overhaul of a culture change. Now, on the other side, I don't know for for Robert Sala if this was the right option for him because they have almost no talent. They have zero pro bowlers. They have basically two guys that they think will, will be true build forward guys. So he needs to come change a culture and work with almost no legitimate long-term talent. Well, uh, one of the most important things to me when a new coach is hired, particularly somebody that hasn't been a head coach before, is where they go with their coordinators. I think there's a lot of significance in that, and it shows a lot. In the interview, they talk a lot about how they're going to build their staff, so it's important to get ahead of it when you've got a brand-new coach so that they have the opportunity to get their guys. It looks like Mike Mm LaFleur is going to be going uh, with Robert Sala to the Jets, so uh, that is going to be their offensive guru coming over from the 49ers. So. Uh, we'll see how that works out for him, but it at least makes a statement that he knew, knew exactly where he wanted to go with the offense, which will always be important when you're hiring somebody that's been a coordinator on the other side of the ball. Speaking of coordinators that are rising, Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator from the Tennessee Titans, is now the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, so not much of a drive. He's got to drive about four hours with family, and he moves into that situation. But I, I got to say, Sarah, there's a lot to like about this, and everybody can talk about the, the Titans' offense and some of the, the play calling in the playoffs may not have looked the way Titans fans wanted it to, but that doesn't change the fact that this is a Titans team that was beat up on the offensive line, was still able to just feed the ball to Derrick Henry, and he was able to redeem the career of a quarterback. I don't think you can say enough about that when you see uh, what it means for a quarterback to come in that everybody's given up on, and then suddenly, next thing you know, they've got a mega deal because they played so well. So got to give a lot of credit and development to Arthur Smith. It'll be interesting to see what he does now taking over the reins for Atlanta with a lot of weapons, big names on that offense. I like his versatility in the past. He's been a defensive quality control coach, uh, offensive quality control coach, offensive line assistant, tight ends coach, right? So he's a guy that can come in and speak to every part of the team as the head man. I'm just a little surprised, Fitz. I know you've, you're more more knowledgeable about him because of his role with the Titans, but this is not a guy whose name I've heard as being atop the list every year and 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 someone like Eric Bieniemy is passed over again. Right. Compared to the other folks names that I've heard repeatedly, I was a little surprised by this hire. I'll be interested to see by the time the dust settles if we have another year without the enemy getting a job while someone like Arthur Smith gets the nod. Well, I I do think it's interesting. Now you have two offensive coordinators that have been able to take the Titans job and get head coaching jobs out of it. Remember, Matt Mm LaFleur was the offensive coordinator. Now the Packers head coach. Arthur Smith follows in those same footsteps. So something about Mike Brable, working, working for Brable, seems right. to get you the opportunity. I think a, pe- a lot of people fell in love with the versatility of the offense this year, particularly. And again, Ryan Tannehill taking such a big leap forward. But uh, still, I mean, uh, for my money, I wouldn't put that ahead of what we've seen in Kansas City. One other big note, obviously, Jacksonville. I don't know if you've been a Jags fan. And, and look, the Jags have had some AFC championship opportunities. Uh, they've had playoff runs in the past. But I don't know if you've been a Jags fan. If you've ever had a moment in your franchise's history where you felt more positive for the next 15 years than you're going to talk yourself into today. Because Urban Meyer, uh, the legendary uh, college football head coach, is headed to Jacksonville where they have the first pick in the draft, presumably Trevor Lawrence. So now you can fall in love with the concept that you're going to suddenly hit it rich with the quarterback. You'll have Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer for the next generation. I don't know if that's how it plays out, but if you're a Jags fan, that's your excitement today. Yep, you can be excited. I'm sure there are plenty that are. And you could also be extremely concerned about handing over the reins to a guy who retired three times in the last decade or whatever it is, who has serious health issues that he's admitted or used as an excuse to cover up. 
uh, in the past to causing memory loss, brain fuzziness, uh, you know, inability to focus, right? I mean, if, if he made those things up to cover up for what happened with his assistant coach, then that's disgusting. And if he didn't make those things up, and those are real issues having to do with the medication he's taking and the health issues that he struggled from, that's a real big ask of someone. The pressure's not going to get any easier at the NFL level. And I, I, I would be very surprised if this lasted longer than three or four years. I would not have, if I owned an NFL franchise, I would not have touched Urban Meyer yeah. with a 10-foot pole. There's absolutely no way that I would have ever let Urban Meyer take over the keys to my franchise. If I'm Jacksonville, what you've just done, if you're Jacksonville, you've gone all in on the concept of relevance from brand power. And if that works, if it, works for you, it might work short term. But ultimately, the only way that you're going to maintain that relevance is if Urban Meyer comes in and wins games. And there's a different level of pressure on Urban Meyer to now come in and do that, mm-hmm. I think, quickly, because the perception is he's getting such a gift with Trevor Lawrence. I don't know that we've hyped a quarterback coming out of court, uh, college uh, to Trevor Lawrence. And all the cap space Peyton and everything Manning. else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, thousand percent. So you've got money to spend. You've got a Peyton Manning type hype machine coming in at quarterback. There will be expectations for Urban Meyer to win games right out of the gate. And I don't feel good about that at all. So, uh, you know, for Jacksonville fans, you're relevant, but let's see how long that lasts. Uh, Sticking with the concept of quickies, a couple other quick things we want to make sure we get in here. I don't know if you saw this, uh, Sarah, but I am already a Las Vegas Aces fan. I'm even more so now as it's been announced that Mark Davis, the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders, is now going to be – he's put in a bid, and it looks like he is buying the Las Vegas Aces away from the MGM Resort. So the Vegas Aces, now owned by Mark Davis. Make me a super fan. This is making your fandom even easier because at one point you were still trying to figure out where you're going to send your family. Like, oh, Vegas. I used to live there. I'm from there. Like, this is cool. Good team. Now, now you got, but also, unfortunately, you have the same person to blame when both teams have a bad year. <laughs> you don't even get to diversify your anger. It will be all directed at the same place. I do think it's pretty awesome and, and good when someone with massive pockets and a ton of money and a ton of pull in the sports world uh, takes over ownership of, of women's teams like this. Assuming the investments are, are smart, I like it. One thing I've loved about Mark Davis is for all the conversation about who he would be following in his father's footsteps, he managed to accomplish a move that's raised the value of his franchise. At the same time, he brought John Gruden back, and ever since he's done that, he's been completely out, outside of the realm of football. Mm-hmm. He's not an, an owner that interferes. My hope is that he will maintain his, his the WNBA with the same approach. I want him to come in own the team, do all the great things that are necessary to make sure that that team is successful. But I also want him to stay the heck out of the way so that the Vegas Aces can continue to grow towards becoming a dominant WNBA franchise. All right. How much have you uh, spent sucking up to him? Because that's your man now for the connections to all the good stuff. Oh, Mark, call me. Hit me up, Mark, anytime. (laughs) You you can even be Big Spoon. Coming up, more on the NFL playoffs. We'll talk about a team whose quarterback's on the verge of an MVP award next. Spain and Fitz. Happy Friday, everybody. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We have exclusive digital content, pre-party, after-party stuff that you can only get on the podcast. Uh, We talked a little salt and pepper Lifetime movie. The other day, you never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates fits. Uh, joining us now, it's Packers great pro football Hall of Fame finalist, Leroy Butler. Leroy, thanks so much for uh, coming back on the show. Hey, it's nice to be on staying fits. Well, we got a huge one this weekend. As we're trying to break this down, we looked at some historical statistics when a number one defense is taking on a number one offense, and it's three to one, mm-hmm. the side of the defense. Does that mean anything to you as you look at this Rams-Packers matchup? 
No, I mean, I, I, Sarah, I've been on both sides. I've been where you, you come in as an underdog, and I've been on the other side when you had home field throughout your number one seed. And a lot of these stats, they don't matter anymore. I mean, after the last pre, after the, I'm sorry, the last regular season game, you start a whole nother season. I mean, everything counts differently. I mean, so if you're, you're if you're the Green Bay Packers, you just do what you've done from last year. They went from like 14th in the league, 23.8 points a game, to number one. So they're going to continue to do their thing. But the the problem is the Rams run the same offense. <laughs> <laughs> so what they want to do is make it difficult for them. Don't make it so easy like San Francisco last year. They ran it with Raheem Mustard. The guy had almost a million yards. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't even play. I think he attempted eight passes. So make Jared Goff beat you. We're talking to Leroy Butler, Packers, great. So Aaron Rodgers gets the second year in this offense under Matt LaFleur. Uh, what have you seen that's been sort of the biggest key in his growth this year? Well, you know, uh, Matt Ryan did the same thing when they were down there in Atlanta, his second season in his offense. He was an MVP. I think with Aaron Rodgers, let's go all the way back, I mean, to the genesis of this. When he, you know, after 13-3 and losing to San Francisco, after the draft, which was a shock, they drafted Jordan Love. It caught everybody by surprise. People didn't know what to make of it. But Aaron Rodgers, he had a flawless season because he put the team on his back. He didn't complain about it. He didn't you know, feel sorry for himself. He did what he always does, and that's put his team in a position to win. And we're just proud of the fact that he blocked out all these distractions and had one of the best seasons in quarterback history. And that's the reason why they're the number one team. And not to mention, you know, they have seven Pro Bowls, four All-Pros, and a top-ten defense. That's a pretty good recipe. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio talking to Packers great and Hall of Fame finalist Leroy Butler. One of the big matchups we'll be looking at is, of course, Devontae Adams and Jalen Ramsey. Now, we saw him do great things against Hopkins, Evans, Metcalf. We've seen him be able to hold guys uh, to much uh, lower than their average. How do you see this matchup mm-hmm. going with Adams, who was a massive part of the Packers' success this year? Uh, that's a great point, because if you look at this particular offense, if Jalen Ramsey, who's a Florida State alumni as myself, if he goes <laughs> up and try to bump and run Devontae Adams, he's gonna have a he's gonna have some difficulty because Devontae Adams has the best feet since Fred Astaire. Okay, that's a fact. <laughs> now, if for some reason, for some reason, he plays him off by five or six yards, then Devontae may have some problems. But the good thing about it is Matt LaFleur's offense, they move Devontae all around. Sometimes he's the X, sometimes he's the Z. They'll put him in that little bunch. They'll put him in the backfield. they put him in jet motion. It's a lot of things that goes on in this particular offense. So if they want to get him open, they're going to get him open. But I'll say this real quick. Back in 2014, when it, the Packers went out and played the Legion of Doom out there in Seattle, they never threw at Richard Sherman. This mm-hmm. a fact, i tell you this. They're going to throw the ball to Devontae Adams, whether Ramsey is on him or not. So what do they have to do then, Leroy, to to, to sort of get through Aaron Donald? You can't shut down Aaron Donald. What do they have to do to accommodate the stopping Aaron Donald as best they can? Play action, draws, make him think. That's the one thing about three techniques and five techniques. Whenever you have a guy inside, and he reminds me of Howie Long on that first step. It's just so powerful. And he played the double team 
better than anybody. He doesn't try to create another hole. He'll try to split it. But what the but the Packers do so well. Aaron Rodgers, number one play action quarterback. He goes through his play fakes. I mean, you're gonna have to guess whether or not he has the ball. Next thing you know, MVS is open 75 yards down the middle of the field. And what something else they will do? The Packers like to spread you out. Now, the difficult with that, you got one-on-one blocks where everybody up front. And Little Floyd has been having a great year. I think he had over mm. 10 sacks. But Aaron Rodgers gets the ball out so quick. So get the ball out quick. Find the open guy and just keep the chains moving. That demoralizes a defense. Leonard Floyd has been great. We've noticed that a lot over here in Chicago where we drafted him. <laughs> <laughs> it's been unfortunate. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Packers great Leroy Butler here on ESPN Radio. Um, what about coaching-wise? I think there is a ton of respect for LaFleur and what he's been able Uh-oh. to do with the Packers. Uh, but there's a ton of respect on the other side of the ball, too. How do you see that matchup in terms of the brain trust? You know, you're brilliant. People <laughs> people talk about the players on the field, but really it's about the coaches. And, guys, I'll be honest, Matt LaFleur learned his lesson when he went up against um, San Francisco when he knew mm-hmm. uh, Shanahan. And he went to school with the defensive coordinator, who was the new Jets head coach, congratulations to him. I think he'll be the first Muslim coach, so that's historical and fantastic. So he's used to that now. Put that aside. When you play with McVay, it's just like a big brother want to beat the little brother. I know (laughs) some dads that will dunk on their 13-year-old kids because they want to brag about it. (laughs) So it's one of those matchups, just the one matchup that Matt LaFleur wants to prove to Sean McVay, listen, I'm a great coach. I know you went to the Super Bowl, but I think I can do it this time. We're talking to Leroy Butler, Packers great. Leroy, you're obviously a Hall of Fame finalist for the second straight year. I do want to know uh, how this year is different for you going through this process again after going through it last year. You know, the first year was amazing. I mean, I saw, like, Roger Staubach, and I just thought, like, freaking out as if I was a young lady running behind Justin Bieber. It was amazing. <laughs> like, I grew up uh, idolizing Roger Staubach. He's like, I had to take a picture with him. I apologize for that, but I had to. This year's different because we had COVID. We had over close to 400,000 beautiful Americans who passed away from this deadly virus. It's just so much going on. So this year, it's going to be virtual, but it's almost like when I looked at it and I said, wait a minute, I'm the first team all decade member that's not in yet. It's kind of embarrassing in a way because I look at it like this. They like these brands, which most people do, and that's Manning, Woodson. Then you have to look at the generics like me. But we do the same thing as brand, and we're cheaper. So just put me in so we can close out that decade. Otherwise, you got to leave it open for the next 20 years. <laughs> Leroy Butler with us. You know, speaking of of COVID shutting things down, you're credited yeah. with founding the Lambo Leap. You're a guy who has as much to do with a lot of the traditions up in Green Bay as anyone. If this game were at Lambo full of fans and you were allowed to be there, what are we prioritizing? Is it is it a fat cow? Is it a um not fat cow? Is it a uh, spotted cow? Is it a butter burger? Ooh. Is it a cheese curds what what is the thing that we're missing the most by not getting up to to green bay fantastic question maybe the best question of 2021 (laughs) i'm dead serious 
We miss tailgating, and we love our fans. We really do, Sarah. We love our fans. They're our owners out of every sport. We love our fans. So we're going to have about 6,000 of them there. But now the reason why I'm glad you asked that question because now we got this this new vodka, Leap Spirits. Okay. It's my own vodka. Yes, and I have my game day brats. You can go to gamedaybrats.com if you're in Wisconsin. So you got to have my what my vodka, and you got to have the brats. That's what tailgating is all about. When I Love used to it. go to the games, I say, "Why are all these people in the parking lot? Why don't they go in the game? They don't even have tickets. They just come there just to tailgate." And the and the players are absolutely love it. That's our connection with the fans. Well, you could follow him at Leap36, and you can find his vodka at Leap Spirits. I guess if Red Bull gives you wings, then Leap gives you hops. It's not It's not beer. I mean, I would have gone with hops. It. I would have gone with beer if I was going Leap. But you know what? Start with the vodka, move to the hops afterwards. I don't know. I'm, I'm at gamedaybrods.com, and I am really hungry right now. This is this. The rest of the night's shot for me. All right, you guys just do the show. Uh, Leroy, yeah, thanks so much for the time. I don't have time. any money to pay you guys for these great ideas because I'm broke. Just pay us in vodka, idea. man. Honestly, that's mo- that's what ESPN pays me, and I don't. I didn't want to reveal my contract, but it's, it's vodka. It's a it's a vodka based deal. Um, Leroy, thanks for the time, and enjoy the game this weekend. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, it was Leroy. an honor and a pleasure to be on Spain and Fitz. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, the great, legendary Leroy Butler. Like I said, at Leap Spirits, get you get you some wings. He's brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, an NBA star said he wasn't disrespecting his teammates by saying they were not good enough and he wouldn't play with them. We'll see how he figured this out next. ESPN Radio. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Having fun tonight, getting you ready for a big weekend of football. But there's some other stuff going on in the sports world, too. I'll touch on some hoops news and the news starts with just a heartbreaking update from Carl Anthony Towns. And you, of course, remember early on in the COVID pandemic, uh, multiple members of Carl Anthony Towns' uh, family got sick with COVID and his mom passed away. She was young. She was vibrant. She was a, a massive fan who was at all of his games. And it really not only touched him, but plenty of other folks in the NBA who had gotten to know her. Um, and then over the course of the months following, he lost other family members. Uh, we heard from him before this season started, and Fitz, it's not an exaggeration to say he sounded like a broken man, talking about the number of funerals he had to go to, talking about the plans he had to make for family and friends, how he grew up and became a man, in, in a sense, because of the, uh, the responsibility he had to take on as he watched the people around him get ill and, and pass. Uh, well, today he announced that he has tested positive. He has to immediately isolate and follow protocol. He... But tweeted out, I pray every day that this nightmare of a virus will subside, and I beg everyone to continue to take it seriously by taking all the necessary precautions. We cannot stop the spread of this virus alone. It must be a group effort by all of us. It breaks my heart that my family, and particularly my father and sister, continue to suffer from the anxiety that comes along with this diagnosis, as we know all too well what the end result could be. To my niece and nephew, Jolani and Max, I promise you I will not end up in a box next to Grandma, and I will beat this. God. I mean... That that statement, it, when we read it, Sarah, it, it hit me as so powerful and such a powerful reminder of the mental sort of toughness that so many people are now having to find somewhere to just to live through what we're going through right now. And 
for him to have seen and had to have dealt with what he had to have dealt with through this entire process and now have it himself. I mean, he points to the anxiety that his father and sister suffer from with the diagnosis, and rightfully so, when you've seen as much death as they've seen, to think that he's now in this situation individually. I mean, that's just so crippling for everybody involved, and it's a reminder that there are bigger things right now than, than basketball, and for him, uh, I, I'm just stunned that he's been able to compartmentalize any of it to even be part of the NBA culture at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's not our place to decide for him, but I imagine how tough it would be. He said he was not finding joy in the game when the season started. Uh, to be out there and contributing to an activity where there has been a significant spread, which would be different than if you were sitting at home alone, that's got to be so tough. I mean, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if he's torn at all by even being involved, right? And he's being put um, at risk, and we don't know how he got this this positive result, if it's someone else from the team or the staff that gave it to him, or if he got it in his everyday life. But um, you do have to wonder for some of these players, if you are extremely strict in your behavior, as soon as you step into that practice court or a game, you're at the whims of the behavior of everybody else, more so than the other sports that we've seen because of how close everybody is, because they can't wear helmets or masks because it's indoors. Um, it, you know, you really have to feel for people that are, are putting their health on the line every day because the people around them have to care as much about it. And we've already seen some very high-profile examples of that not being the case, which leads me to the next NBA topic. James Harden and Kyrie Irving, two guys that have both been fined $50,000 for partying in clubs, maskless, with dozens of people during a pandemic, and now they are on the same team. Harden had his introductory presser for the Nets today and had this to say about his departure from Houston. I wasn't disrespectful to anyone. Those guys, I just got there to Houston. I've been there for a very long time. I've been through all the ups and downs, you know, with that organization. And I wasn't disrespectful towards anyone. You know, I just made a comment, you know, that the team as a, as a whole wasn't good enough to compete for a title. And, you know, at the stage of my career, right, where I am now, that's what I would love, you know. And so I wasn't trying to be disrespectful to anybody especially not to the organization. And um, like I said, just I'm, I'm excited to be here in Brooklyn and, um, you know, excited for a new start. Fits that obviously a response to Marcus Cousins saying he was being disrespectful. The second half where he said I wasn't trying to be, maybe I'll buy that. By flat out saying I wasn't disrespectful, he's telling himself a lie. Uh, this is just maddening to me. I mean, I can't imagine if – after a, a concert, let's say a concert goes poorly, I'm in a band, right? And somebody comes up and says, well, what's wrong with the band? And I just turn around and say, well, the band stinks. I mean, we're just not good enough. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we can't have any hits. If I then leave that band, there's no way for them not to take it as some level of disrespect. Mm -hmm. If I turn around and say, oh, well, you know, <laughs> Spain and Fitz just stinks. You know, it's just not the, the things aren't there that we would need to be successful. So, uh, sorry, no disrespect. Like, th there's no way that that can't happen. I mean, you have to acknowledge that your words and your actions have consequence, especially if you're James Harden. And you can't use your words to force action and then turn around and pretend that that's not what happened. At the very least, it's disingenuous. And it's treating everyone involved in the process like we're all stupid. At some point, James Harden could at least be adult enough to stand up and say, well, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to play there anymore. So, unfortunately, if I have to hurt feelings to get my way out, I would respect that honesty. Right. I have no respect for how Harden handled it. Agreed. And it's not just the words after that Lakers game earlier this week. It was, you know, not showing up to training camp. 
It was partying maskless in Vegas and Atlanta and, you know, hanging out and not working out and showing up out of shape. All of those things are disrespect to the teammates, the coach, the owner, the GM, the fans, anybody signing your paychecks especially. Uh, And to your point, if he had said, I unfortunately know this business and I had to make things uncomfortable if I wanted out and I wanted out, that's a very different answer. And it's at least honest. This, this, this I can't handle. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. In addition to the hardened news, there's the news that Kyrie Irving has been fined by the league, as I mentioned before, $50,000, uh, but also will not be able to participate yet tomorrow. So first there were the COVID protocols that he had to get through since uh, going to his sister's birthday party uh, out publicly. Uh, but now also, according to Malika Andrews, because he's been out so long, he has to get back into basketball before he can play. Uh, It sounds like he's nearing $2 million in lost salary at least uh, for the games that he missed during his quarantine. Um, And who knows if there will be any other punishment from the Nets for essentially bailing without explanation and no communication. Uh, And at some point, like, what fixes all of this? How how do they get this behind them? Because you think about the lagging effect and – when he does come back, on top of getting himself back into basketball shape, on top of, uh, you know, sort of acclimating with his teammates, he's also going to have to answer questions or at least be asked questions, even if he chooses not to answer. And all of his teammates are going to have to continue to answer questions. So this process is going to drag on, not just for, for days, but for weeks as they try and get rid of whatever the distraction is, all caused by him walking away at this point. So. Again, like we said the other day, the lack of any sort of real information from anyone only leads to speculation, but that speculation leads to questions that somebody somewhere is going to have to answer. Yeah, and as far as Kyrie's concerned, he gets a choice right now for how he handles his return, how he answers questions, and how he carries himself the rest of the season. He will not be able to play the victim of, I'm so misunderstood. I'm misrepresented. These media pawns are always putting words in my mouth or reading into things that I didn't say. You have an opportunity to be a grown man and an adult and a smart person like you want us all to believe you're the smartest person in the room and communicate what's going on with you or you will be subject to us guessing at it because that's what we've had to do for the last few days. Coming up, former Brown is going to weigh in on their playoff run and the maturation of Baker Mayfield. That's coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast wherever you get your podcast. Get some great exclusive content out there sometimes. Having a good time. All right, we welcome in now Eric Metcalf, Cleveland Browns superstar, and also, by the way, one of the guys that you could never tackle on Tech Mobile. I'm just saying, like, a, a legend <laughs> through and through. Eric, uh, first and foremost, thanks for making me throw my Nintendo controller so often as a kid. Secondly, uh, obviously, with all the history you have around the Browns, I mean, what does this moment mean for Cleveland, for the Browns, for the city, for everybody to see them get this win in the playoffs? Okay, now I'm going to go firstly. Uh, thanks for dating me with Tecmo Bowl. <laughs> I'm dating myself, my friend. Like, it's still the best of all. I don't care how fancy Madden gets. I will always go with Tecmo Bowl. Thank you, good sir. And, and, and then secondly, uh, it means so much to the, the city of Cleveland. I mean, uh, not only the fans, but like myself and, and, and former players. You know, it's been so long since we've seen a, a winner in that city. And not only a, a, a team that's winning, but a, a team with a chance to, to make some noise and that's what that's what feels really good about it i mean this feels like 
playing with house money, but I know that that's not usually how it feels when you're in the moment, right? Like you could say we're just satisfied to get there, but once you get that W, now it's like, how far can we go? As you're watching, is there satisfaction now or is it let's see how let's see how much we can push the envelope here and and get all the way? See, I, it, it makes it hard for me because I um, I have the player side of me and and the fan side of me. So as as a as a fan, I could be like, okay, this this is a good year, even if we lose this game. But as a player, I look at it like there's a a great opportunity to win this game, and we can we can control this. And so forget the house money thing. I know everybody, no one expects the the Browns to win this game, but we, I think we have the team that's capable of doing it. So, Eric, you obviously, I mean, you played a few different positions, but let's look at the running back position specifically with all your expertise. And you see two guys in the backfield that have had to share so much of the load. How difficult is it to get guys in that situation to accept lesser of a load if it means sharing it with someone else for the better of the team? You know, it, it, it is difficult, but obviously we have two guys who understand uh, that it's, it's best for the team, but also understand that they're going to get their opportunities. You know, one person is not going to get all the touchdowns or, or catch all the balls or even run all the balls. It, it's the way Kostopanski is doing it. They're interchanging these guys. And, it, and, it, and it's, it all depends on how the game is going when they do it. That, that makes it fun. Because, I mean, I know there's a lot of times when people say Chubb should be in the game. But then Kareem comes in and he'll, he'll make a lot of plays. And, and he gets rolling. So, I think, you know, Kostafeski has put a, a very good plan together for the, the offense, and, and the line has been incredible this year, so it's made it a lot easier for those two guys. Eric Metcalf, former Browns, with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, Eric, I was asked today, can I see a path towards a Browns victory? I said it's not likely, but the path would be on the ground. Kansas City's rush defense, 21st in the NFL. Do you see that that would have to be the way for this team to win because of the offensive firepower on the other side of the ball and the need to sort of control the clock and slow things down? I do. I mean, of course, we, we got to run the ball because that's who the Cleveland Browns are. Be who you are. But I, I think in, in uh, taking care of the time possession and controlling that, uh, we can have these long drives and, and, and run the ball. But at the end of these drives, it has to be touchdowns. It can't be field goals because we know that the, the Chiefs can score from anywhere. And I think uh, in, in doing so with the run, um, obviously it's going to open up a lot of play action. And, and Baker, uh, plain and simple, is going to have to make some winning throws in, in order to win this game. We can't, we can't go out there and have empty, empty possessions. We've got to make plays and make things happen. Eric, you just mentioned Baker. Give me your assessment of Baker Mayfield in, now that we've seen this much body of work on him. Well, you know, I, I think Baker's done very well this year. He's uh, matured a lot. And I think it all has to do with, with Coach Stefanski and, and the calm and the leadership that he's brought to him. He's, he's made him understand that he doesn't have to be a guy who drops back and, and throws the ball 40, 50 times in order for the team to win. But he does know that there's going to come times when he's going to have to make winning plays and, and winning throws and that, that – play action game that's been set up by the run uh, is affording him uh, the ability to make long plays down the field and, and, and plays that uh, can possibly win games. Three-time All-Pro Eric Metcalf with us here on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline. You know, this team 
I'm sure, is inspiring so much excitement among the alums. I saw that great video that they put together and put out before the first playoff game of everybody, you know, talking we want more and saying how much this team means to them. Are you engaging with fellow alums? Are you texting each other during the game and sending each other messages and all that during the games? Oh, oh, we do, but I'm, but I'm, but I, I try to stay away from because I'm one of those superstitious guys. I don't like <laughs> to do things that that I, that I don't normally do. I, I mean, it's carried over from being a player. I mean, like I'm, I'm in a bad, a bad position this weekend because I, I have to watch the TV on a, on my smaller TV because that's where I've been watching the, the last couple of victories and I can't move because <laughs> I, I just feel superstitious. But yeah, we we stay together. We talked about it a lot and because. It's, it's exciting for us as players as well. I mean, uh, we haven't really won games since we were there, and 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 we, but we've all been going back to games, and and it's been heartbreaking not only for us but the fans as well. And so to finally be a part of a winning season, and not only winning season but winning games in the playoffs with a chance to move on, feels good. All right, Derek, give us the dirt here. What's your what's your like most superstitious weird pregame ritual? <laughs> Uh, as a player or or as a fan? I mean, as a fan now. I mean, I, we'll take both. But as a fan, I'm interested. <laughs> well, 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 right now, like I said, I, I have to wear the same thing that I wore uh, the week before, especially if they want. And, and, and I can't wash it. And then, uh, like, last week in the playoff game, I, uh, I wore the same sweatshirt, but then I had to throw one of my uh, – one of my jerseys over my left shoulder just to <laughs> just for a little something a little mojo on it. <laughs> I see that in your social media pics. I see those jerseys over the shoulder, sweatshirt on, you ready to go. But now I now I have to know when you were a player, what was the weirdest superstition? Oh, I, I had so many. I had to put the the right sock on first, uh, and <laughs> then the left, and the right shoe. I had to. I waited to a certain time before I would put my towel. Uh, on my pants and everything. It, it, it was just weird. I, was, I, I had to listen to the same songs. There were so many things that I, I, I even had to eat the same meal. My so songs were uh, did just my songs ready. were Be Like Mike the, from the Gatorade commercial, Right Now from Van Halen, and Let Me Clear My Throat. I had to listen to those before every basketball and track in high school <laughs> and through college. What's your What's your jam? I, it was Eric B. and Rakim, Move the Crowd. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then I would listen to all all kind of MC Hammer. <laughs> Let's get oh it my started. Gosh. Sure. Yeah, there you go. Now you're dating yourself. That was not on us. <laughs> I, I am. I, I'm curious. Uh, you know, Eric, you played for several different franchises during the course of your career. Is there a different draw to the alumni that played for the Browns than, let's say, your time with the Falcons or Carolina or places like that? You know, I I think it's, it's not the alumni that makes that draws me to the the Browns. It's it's the fan, and 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 you know I had that's, I played in Cleveland six years. That was the longest term I had at any team, and and we had some good years. I, I made a couple of Pro Bowls there, so it was it was fun. It was a fun time, and 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 the fans make it even more fun because they're so into it, whether you win it or or lose, and and they're always behind you. So as as a Browns player. You want you want to go out there and win for the fans, and then you know, unfortunately, I I, I just didn't feel that with with other teams. Uh, I remember when I first got traded to the the Falcons, and I think we went to uh, Carolina, and, and I got off the bus. Uh, 
pulling up to the hotel, and and my first question was, well, where are all the fans? Because <laughs> I was so used to getting off the bus on the Browns fan and just seeing so many Cleveland Browns fans there. And so that's that's what I got used to. That's what I got accustomed to. And, and you know, I, I just embraced it, and that's why I consider myself always a Brown. Well, uh, an exciting weekend it's going to be for you, and I'm really proud of myself as a Bears fan that I made it this whole interview without asking about Devin Hester breaking your record. Oh my God, I just did it! Oh, <laughs> I just did it! I'm so I thought I, I thought I made it. <laughs> hey, that's that's okay. I mean, records have made be broken. I mean, that's he, right. he had a great career when he was when he was in the league, and you know, I I, I think I would have made it the record a little harder for him to break. Had I returned punts my first uh, couple that's, years, I, that's right. in my first three years, I think I returned only eight punts. And so, uh, if I would have had more opportunities, it might have—he he probably would have still broke it, but I would have made it a little harder on him. <laughs> you guys can follow him on Twitter <laughs> at Eric Metcalf21. Eric, don't worry, I'll send you a bill for the Nintendo controllers I broke as a kid. It's just you were a tackle. <laughs> Thanks so much for hanging out with us, man. We really appreciate you. Hey, thanks for having me. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier with more than 30 coverage options available. Progressive has you covered more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, six-pack. It's time to make our divisional round predictions. My God, we were on fire during the regular season. We'll keep it going next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We've had some fun ones tonight. If you've missed any of it, be sure any of it, be sure to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, not only do you get the the best of our shows from every night, but you also get some exclusive content sometimes. Like to have a little bit of fun, so make sure you're out there. Tell your friends and frankly, even people you don't like uh, that they should subscribe to it. So, Sarah, one of the things for anyone that has been listening all year uh, that should be noted is we are incredible with picks. And when I say incredible. I do mean incredible. Now, I came in uh, with a a small lead at this point Mm -hmm. uh, through the regular season and through one weekend of the playoffs. We are now, we are still neck and neck. Uh, Yeah, because we picked the same things last week. (laughs) Which is key for me if I want to hold my lead. I just need to copy a putt. No, I'm not going to do that. I will be a man of integrity, unlike James Harden, and I will do it the honest way. (laughs) So, uh, 66 and 23, that is your record at Mm -hmm. this point. 67, 21 and 1 for me. So, uh, incredibly tight, uh, incredibly tight. Now, we're just going straight up here. There's no uh, spread. But we figured that we would continue it uh, by having a little bit of six-pack fun with the playoffs. My biggest concern is I was there's only four games. Yeah, I don't think we have any imaging, even though we do have imaging. I think we're just going to blow past the sexy-voiced guy saying, it's a six-pack of picks. I'm going to go with the, the football music. I should never Because be it's not six-pack. Okay. It's a four-pack. It's one of those craft beers where they give them to you in those skinny cans, and there's only four of them. Oh, yeah. No, I don't pay the extra money for that. Like, you come <laughs> over to my house with a four-pack of craft beer. You brought it yourself, and then you're going to leave it, and three years later, I'm going to throw it away. Okay. Uh, first game, Rams-Packers. Uh, this, this one we talked a little bit about earlier, and there is an intriguing matchup anytime you see – number one versus number one, right? So you have the number one defense in the NFL versus the number one scoring offense. You have the Rams who surprised the Seahawks last week. And I say surprised only because the Rams were so decimated at quarterback and Jared Goff, as they told you 3,722 times in the broadcast, was playing (laughs) with pins in his thumb on his throwing hand. Uh, But despite all that, the Rams still won the game, which is a great story and won't help them in this one. The Packers offense is, is going to be able to put up enough points and that's all they need to do because I just don't see 
see how the Rams are going to get points in this one. I will take the Packers. I'm taking the Packers as well for a number of reasons. As great as that defense is, and as much as I like Sean McVay to mix things up and keep them guessing on the opposite side, the Packers turned the ball over an NFL low 11 times this season. Seven of those 11 came in their three losses. They need to just take care of the ball and be the explosive offense we've seen. And even if the Rams contain them in ways we haven't seen much this season, it will be still too much for an incredibly inconsistent Rams offense, even when everybody was healthy. They're going to try to close the throwing windows to Devontae Adams. They're going to try to use Jalen Ramsey to shut him down. The thing is, early in the season, I would have said that that could be a game ender for the Packers. But I've seen more from Aaron Rodgers and his other weapons enough of course, they still depend on Devonta Adams, but enough that I can feel confident in him getting creative. And to the point that our guest, Leroy Butler, made the way they've used Devonta Adams all season long and the different ways that they've lined him up are going to make it really tough for them to try to force Jalen Ramsey on him. There's going to be times that he gets open. They're going to take advantage on the opposite side of the ball. Like I said before, Jared Goff responsible for 16 of their 25 turnovers. They did not go a game in the regular season without turning the ball over at least once. I think that's going to be tough for a Rams team. That's already going to need to take advantage of every offensive possession. Next up on the list, we have Ravens taking on the bills. As we go through our picks, the Ravens six and three all time against the bills. They're 11 and six on the road in the playoffs all time. The only team with a winning record in postseason play and one shy for the most of all time on the road. John Harbaugh has eight playoff road wins, most all time by a head coach. I give you all the numbers, but the, the, at the end of the day, even though everybody knows you can run on the bills, I believe in this bills offense so much. You know, I've been dabbling a little bit in the cash uh, category, put the largest bet. Wow. And it's not significant. I put the largest bet still that I've yet put on any game is so far in my young nickel. career. On the Bills <laughs> beating the Ravens, I think the Bills win and cover. That's how confident I am in Gosh. Buffalo over the Ravens. You're getting better at these picks because we're making all of the same ones. I liked it better when you used to make terrible picks all the time, and then I won all the bets that you didn't pay up on. I'm picking the Bills as well. This one is really difficult for me. I think this will be a close game. I think the team that makes mistakes in this could be the one that goes down because I think it's going to be so close. To your point, you can run on the Bills. And so when you have a team that depends so much on the ground game like the Ravens, you think that that could be the difference there. This is a team in the Bills that gave up 163 rushing yards per game. That's third most in the league in the regular season. But as I said before, they've been able to contain opposing quarterbacks. No one, and that includes Cam Newton in his peak, and that includes Lamar Jackson, that includes all the effective running quarterbacks. None of them has been able to rush for more than 61 yards in the last two seasons against this Bills team. They've shut down those lanes. If they can do that and make Lamar Jackson try to beat him with his arm, I think they've got a really good shot because I think, again, we've talked about this before, the number of weapons, the number of guys on this Bills team that have scored. So even if they find a way to shut down Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen has folks to go to. My only concern, Fitz, would be if he reverts to that guy we saw who sometimes forgets how to football. Now, that has not been the case this year, although that shot put pass in last week's playoff game could have gotten real ugly if it didn't result mm -hmm. in a touchdown and we would have been lecturing him for it. But it worked out. And he's the kind of guy that I think you can trust to make plays like that now instead of making mistakes. Next up on the list, we have the Browns taking on the Chiefs. My strategy this year when I've been really wrong is to double down. So, uh, you know, <laughs> the first time that Notre Dame took on Clemson, I thought Notre Dame would get killed. And 
I was obviously wrong. But the next time, I doubled down on it. So the first playoff game for Ohio State, I thought they'd get killed. I was wrong. I doubled down on the national championship. So the second time, I'm right. I thought the Browns were going to get beat by the Steelers. I was wrong. I'm doubling down. The Chiefs will have no problem taking care of the Browns. Not because the Browns don't have the two-headed monster. I respect the heck out of their ability to run the ball. I think the Chiefs, we forget the fact that they return 21 and 22 starters. I know they're going to be missing some guys, but continuity has been their thing all year long. Patrick Mahomes is still the best player in the NFL. They will be interested in this game, which hasn't always been the case. They roll. I talked about the possibility of Kansas City's rush defense falling short against the Browns' run game. That's got, That would have to be at the extreme to me. Mahomes has a passer rating more than 10 points higher against playoff teams, a perfect record against playoff teams, and a 12-0 touchdown-to-interception ratio against playoff teams, teams that made this year's playoffs for all of those statistics. He steps his game up. This team steps their game up. They're going to be fine. It's the Chiefs. I'm taking the Saints in the last matchup. When you're 2-0, and it doesn't mean that I'm afraid that you can't win the third one. It means you're the better team, and they'll do it again. Sarah, you agree? I think this is going to be a really close game, but again, the progress that we saw from the Bucks was against mediocre opponents, and they did not definitively beat a Washington football team in a way that has me thinking they can stop the Saints. I got the Saints. I can't believe we made the same picks again. Well, this only means that, hey, I went first this time. Shows a little bit of integrity since I was mm-hmm. the one holding mm-hmm. on to the narrow lead. Mm-hmm. All right, coming up. We've made our picks. We'll bring in an expert to tell us if we're spot on or crazy. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Happy Friday! It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Every so often we've got digital content you can't hear on the radio, pre-parties, after-parties. Things get weird. They do. And they're going to get weird again because joining us now is the host of the Bill Barnwell podcast, Bill Barnwell, giving you the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Bill, thanks for the time on a Friday night. I know it's probably a busy week with these divisional games coming up. We just made our picks. So everything you say in this segment is either going to make us feel great or terrible about the decisions that we just made. No pressure at all. Um, Let's start with that first game. What's the game plan for the Rams to try to defeat this high-powered Packers offense? Yeah, I think it's very similar to what we saw last week. You know, I mean, in terms of just hoping they can run the ball, you got to figure Jared Goff is not 100% with that thumb injury. Um, you can't count on him to be a 300-yard passer in this game. But run the ball effectively with Cam Akers. You know, Packers are susceptible to that. And then I think on the defensive side of all, you know, have Jalen Ramsey beat Devontae Adams. It's tough. He's probably the best receiver in football, but... Jalen Ramsey makes his money for a reason. So if he can hold Dante Adams under, you know, 60, 70 passing yards, Rams might have a shot. How realistic is that, though, Bill? It's plausible. Stranger things have <laughs> happened. I mean, the Browns <laughs> pulled out the Steelers last week. You know, I really think it's a question of, you know, he's not going to be on Devontae Adams every single snap, it's fair to say. But I would say 75% of the snaps, maybe. So I think the problem is, on that other 25% of snaps, does Devontae Adams have maybe two catches for 25 yards, or does he have six catches for 100 yards and a touchdown? Because DK Metcalf had a long touchdown last week, and that was one of the few snaps that Jalen Ramsey wasn't on him in coverage. So uh, I, I could see it happening, but I think the Packers, you know, I mean, just have been a better football team all year. Yeah, it's 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 one of those games where – 
uh, you know, if, if something goes weird and, and the Rams get the win again, I think we're all going to have to sort of revisit our expectations for that team that was so inconsistent in the regular season, but is maybe mm-hmm. coming into its own now. All right, moving on uh, to the next game, and, and I think you made us feel okay about our picks in that one. So far, so good. So yeah. far, so good yeah. with Bill Barnwell. <laughs> um, all right, so Baltimore-Buffalo. This was probably the toughest game for me to pick. Um, there yeah. are so many ways that this game could go, but to me, I look at the Buffalo run defense hasn't been good, but they have been good at stopping opposing teams' quarterbacks from racking up the yards. Mm-hmm. How do you see this one going? Yeah, I, I think they're such a – they're not the best defense in football to build. They don't have, like, you know, a lot of stars, but they work so well together. They don't let you get mismatches. They don't let you get the numbers advantage, and that's what the Ravens do so well on offense with Lamar is that he's an incredible athlete. He's a special player, but they do such a good job with their scheme of getting the numbers advantage and then taking advantage of that. So I think this could be a tough matchup, actually, for the Ravens' rushing attack. I don't think they're going to have a great game here. So because of that and because you have Josh Allen doing so well against the Blitz, playing out of his mind, looks phenomenal, and really succeeds in the exact place where the Ravens do like to go frequently on defense, which is that blitz package. I kind of lean towards the Bills here. I love that. Hmm. Look, you're Feeling making me good. feel really Feeling good about good. this. You just mentioned Josh Allen. And, and real quick, Bill, to, to the point that he's been great against the blitz, why? What's been different this year for him? Well, I think what he's really improved at, Jason, it's really just not just getting away from the blitz because he's always been a great athlete. But once he gets away from the blitz, his footwork is impeccable. He sets, he resets, he looks up field, and he makes accurate throws. He was always able to get away from the blitz, but last year he would, and his throws, they would go anywhere. Not even Josh Allen knew where most of his passes were going on the (laughs) run last year. But this year you see over and over again, gets in that spot, sets his feet, perfect throw. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're talking to ESPN NFL analyst and host of the Bill Barnwell podcast, Bill Barnwell, going through all the weekend's games. Uh, Cleveland KC, this is one where I feel pretty confident picking the Chiefs, but Bill, if you look at it, the explanation I have for why the Chiefs couldn't put away teams this year, had so many close games, was just kind of boredom, right? They're coming off a Super Bowl victory. Uh, They don't really want to turn on the Jets, and when things get tight, they go, okay, I guess we got to win now. Patrick Mahomes especially good against teams that eventually ended up making the playoffs, so maybe upping his game and paying a little more focus on those evenings. Um, What explanation do you have for them not really blowing teams out? Yeah, just inconsistency. You know, I I think they've been happy to just avoid the mistakes and just move the ball down the field. Not as many big plays as we saw from them two years ago during that Mahomes MVP season. And last year in the playoffs, what really drove those comebacks for them, they were incredible in the red zone. They were like 13 of 14 scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And over a three-game period, that can win you a Super Bowl. But this year, they're kind of middle of the pack in the red zone, kicking more field goals than you might expect. So they haven't been as consistent in the red zone, haven't had as many big plays. And so you get an offense that's good, but kind of more like those Andy Reid offenses from maybe the Eagles days where they were good, but we are always like, man, if they could just get to that next level. We know the Chiefs are capable of that next level, but, you know, you always got to see it before you know for sure. So I'm picking the Chiefs here as well, but there are times where we kind of have those teams where you kind of think even if they have a great record, they're going to hit that next level in the postseason, and they just don't get there. We're talking to Bill Barnwell, host of the Bill Barnwell podcast, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So let's get to the most overhyped match. Wait, wait, wait. Quick uh, question. What? Quick question <laughs> while we're still on that game before we move on. Quick question for you. Okay. Why is it that the, the Chiefs have been so inefficient at red zone defense? They're the worst in the NFL 77% of the time when another team gets in there, they score. What's going on there? 
that could be boredom. That could just be, hey, let's get Patrick Mahomes back on the field. We've been on the field for too long at this point. But I, I think their run defense is bad. You know, they're a team that they want to create takeaways. They want to, you know, rush the passer. They want to, you know, take those big, wide pass around tackles and, and sort of get at the quarterback. And that's not good for your run defense. So we know, hey, if the Browns can run the ball in this game, they got a shot. And we know the Browns are a pretty good rushing team. So, you know, again, not the craziest thing in the world to think the Browns have a chance on Sunday. All right, so now we can get to the most overhyped <laughs> matchup of the weekend. I, I got to admit, Bill, like I just maybe I'm just soured on it. I said earlier, it's like somebody that's been a fan of the indie band and now they're like popular and everybody talks about them too much. <laughs> this whole quarterback battle between Breeze and Brady, just I'm rolling my eyes. So tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why this is going to be the epic game of the weekend. You know, I mean, when you have steak at home and Derek Carr, you don't need hamburger like Drew Brees and Tom Brady. That's uh-huh. how Thank it goes. You. Thank you. I don't blame you, Derek. He's been in the same pack with them this year. Now, I-, I agree with you. I mean, this was a blowout the last time these two teams played. And the first time, even though that game looked closer on paper, the Saints got out to a big lead. We're a much better team in that game than the Buccaneers. This, this matchup hasn't been close twice now. And I know there's that old story about how you know, it's tough to beat a team three times in a row. It's not. 14-7 and seven, <laughs> uh, historically. Teams who win twice winning that third game. So I think for me, if this game is going to be more interesting than it looks on paper to you, I think it has to be about the Buccaneers protecting Tom Brady. They can't protect Tom Brady. This game is going to be over, and you're going to be able to sit here at, what, 7.30 or 8 o'clock on the East Coast on Sunday and get a nap in, get to bed early, have a nice dinner. Don't have to worry about the second half of this game. But if they can protect Tom Brady, Things change. We know Tom Brady, his numbers are dramatically different. He is not pressured, fifth-best quarterback in football by QBR. When he is pressured, he's tied with Nick Mullins for 31st. You don't want to be tied with Nick Mullins if you're Tom Brady. That's just not where he belongs. So I think that's what really this game comes down to is just can that offensive line keep the Saints' defensive line off of Brady? Because we saw last week, by the way. I know the Saints won last week. But Sarah, you watched that game as a Bears fan. Bears had a shot in that game. If the Bears had more on offense, they would have had a shot because the Bears were able to really beat up what is typically a very good Saints offensive line. So I think it has to come down to winning the line of scrimmage in that matchup. I did, unfortunately, watch that game. It's deeply embedded in my brain forever. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Bill Barnwell with us here on Spain and Fitz. I'm curious, did you think that the work done by the Washington football team showed that that offensive line for the Bucks has improved? Because they did not get to Tom Brady. They did not mess with him much in that mm-hmm. game. Um, even though that game was closer than I thought it would be, um, was that a good sign for that, that Bucks offensive line heading into this weekend? Absolutely. I think it was because that was a matchup where you'd figure if it was going to be close, it would have been because of Chase Young and company getting pressure on Brady. And it wasn't close for that reason. It was close because Taylor Heineke, who knew is a pretty good quarterback after all, the, all everything is said and done, that defensive line didn't really hold up fair into the bargain. They struggled against the run and they didn't get a lot of pressure on Brady. So I think if you're the Bucks, you have to be feeling good about that line protecting into what is obviously a must-win matchup on Sunday. Bill, you made us feel great about our picks. We're feeling good. Yeah, there we go. We're feeling feel good. good. We're all going to be disappointed. Something's going to go very wrong. It always <laughs> does. Uh, Bill, awesome stuff as always. You've just been spectacular all football season long. We appreciate the insight. Thanks so much, guys. Anytime. Thanks you can hear much. Bill on the Bill Barnwell podcast. My favorite person talking football. Always great to hear from him, especially when he agrees with us. He was yeah, giving mostly. you the straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. It's a Friday. We've kept it together too long. Things got to get weird. So Sports Tinder's coming up next. That's right. It's Friday. This week felt like it was a month long. 
can't wait for next week. It's going to fly by, assuming the country is still standing. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Why did I introduce negative energy to a Friday? We're about to hit the weekend, and we got to enjoy it. So, yeah, hit that. It's Friday. Hopefully, you are dancing in your seat just like I am or in your car or wherever you are. Because here on Spain and Fitz, on Fridays, we like to do a little something called sports tinder. What we do here, it's backed by popular demand, is we bring up a story. It could be sports related or it doesn't have to be. And then we ask a question about that story and we swipe. If y'all are at home making bad decisions, swiping up, right, down, left, we're going to do the same here on sports tinder. We ask a question. If we swipe up, we definitely agree. If we swipe right, we agree. We swipe left, we disagree, and if we swipe down, we hate it. So Dennis Rodman's daughter has been drafted number two overall in the NWSL National Women's Soccer League draft. Her name is Trinity Rodman. She, of course, acknowledges and recognizes that her dad is very famous, but she also wants to be famous on her own for her own skill set. She was selected by the Washington Spirit, 18 years old. And my question to you is, if you know you're going up against Dennis Rodman's daughter, are you a little more hesitant to go ahead with the hard tackle just in case she's got that same temperament as her dad? Oh, yeah. No, on this one, I'm going to swipe up. Swipe up. Super like. Oh, yeah. We got the sexy voice to do it. Yeah, there's no doubt (laughs) in, in, in my mind. There's a couple of things here. Number one. If she has any of his temperament or just his sort of physicality in that moment, I'm going to get my butt kicked. Number two, if he <laughs> happens to be there, he's going to kick my butt after she kicks my butt. So, like, there's there's layers of butt kicking that I'm not willing to take on it. But kudos <laughs> to her and congratulations on being drafted number two. That's amazing. I'm going to go ahead and swipe up as well. Swipe up. Super like. Yeah, she's five foot ten, which is actually shorter than me. But my dad was not Dennis Rodman. And I'm also not. 22. So I'm going to go ahead and stay away from the hard tackles. Like you said, just in case I saw her, uh, I saw her dad take out a cameraman below the basket once uh, with a, with a leg. So if she's got a leg, anything like her dad, I am staying away. Uh, Speaking of basketball, Jaron Jackson Jr., who we have had right here on this show in the past is really excited because in the off season, he grew. You might wonder how a 21-year-old NBA player has a growth spurt. Don't ask me. It's science. Somehow, he grew enough in the offseason to cross the seven-footer threshold. And he recently did an interview with our own Mark Spears of The Undefeated and talked about how excited he is to do seven-foot stuff. Mark Spears asked him, is that being seven feet now going to affect your game in any way? And he said, I just got to be a seven-footer now, man. Do seven-foot stuff. Duck under doors. Try to touch the rim without jumping. There's a bunch of seven-foot bucket list of things I got to check off, like being in Walmart and getting paper towels for ladies. So I ask you, Fitz. He was 6'10 before, 6'11. Now he's seven feet. Does an extra inch really matter? Oh, we know which way I'm swiping on this one. I'm going (laughs) to swipe down. Swipe down. I hate it. An extra inch does not matter. I mean, you don't want the extra inch. You don't want to have to deal with that much size, right? Like, mm-hmm. at, at some point, you're looking around saying, now i got to cram myself into uh, under these mm-hmm. doors. Like, you don't want that burden. <laughs> extra size is not mm-hmm. important at all. I mean, I cannot stress this enough, Sarah. Go ahead. How, would you, how do you feel about this one? It's so funny that we feel differently on this, because I'm going to go ahead and swipe up. Swipe up. Super like. 
Yeah, I'm swiping up on the inches. It's a game of inches. I don't know if you heard that, Fitz, and I'm not talking about football. Am I talking about basketball? We can't be sure. The point is, do not downplay the importance of an extra inch or two even. So congrats to Jared. I hope he's into that seven-foot stuff, like getting paper towels. Moving on before we get fired. Aaron Rodgers, uh, quarterback for the Packers, is going to guest host Jeopardy. Now, you might have heard that Ken Jennings is doing a temporary run, but there are a handful of folks that they are putting in place of the now-departed Alex Trebek before they assign a full-time host. You going to watch Aaron Rodgers, the potential NFL MVP, as he asks questions here as the Jeopardy host? Yeah, I'm going to swipe left. Swipe left. I thought about this one for a little bit, but it's a downgrade in every way. I mean— it's hmm. less of a mustache, right? Like the, the, <laughs> the pinnacle of Alex Trebek's mustache was untouchable. It's less of a mustache. There's no way that, that he's able to just read these. Things. Like these questions are not easy. As someone that can barely read myself, I cannot imagine the amount of advanced time you'd have to spend looking over this stuff. And like Aaron Rodgers doesn't have like that, that sharp delivery that I need on wow. this. He's a little bit too casual on it. Wow. He's a little bit too California on it. No, I'm out. I'm out. First of all, I, I think you need to give him a chance because he might not carry himself the same way on Jeopardy as he might in totally a, you know average interview, and you haven't even seen him do it yet. I'm going to swipe, swipe up. up. Super like. That's right. I've admitted it many times before. Aaron Rodgers is my favorite football player, which is a real problem when you're a Chicago Bears fan. But I fully admit it. He's my side piece. And if he wants to host Jeopardy, I think he's a smart guy. I think he's a funny guy. I think he's a charming guy. I think he will do a great job. Is he Alex Trebek? Nobody is. Nobody is. But I think it will be an entertaining watch. And I do agree with you. Some of those questions are tough. So he's going to put in the work beforehand. And it's not live. So he can get it. They'll, they'll retape it if something goes wrong. But I think he's probably going to put in the work and be very prepared, just like he is on the football field, to make sure he's got all of those questions, pronunciations. You know, when somebody answers, you know, when nobody can get it and he answers it for them, he'll act like, of course, what do you, Lake Titicaca. Like, how do you guys not know that? Or like Mount Everest. Come on, people. Right? Like, you know how Alex Trebek would always answer with like, mm, you should have known that one. Aaron mm. Rodgers has got that kind of smugness down pat. I've seen the face every time he plays the Bears and, and gets a four-touchdown lead. I've seen the face before. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz. It's a Friday. We're doing a little sports Tinder. We swipe up, down, right, left. We make bad decisions, but they're swipes just like you guys do on a Friday night. The final story is one that I guess shouldn't be surprising at this point. The only reason I would find it surprising is you would think with the pandemic and everything else going on in the world, just putting sports on and getting games going would be the priority for the NCAA. You wouldn't think they would have time for their rather regular tomfoolery. But as usual, the NCAA is on their BS, is what the phrase is, uh, and certainly not the full word. They stripped former UMass tennis player Brittany Collins and her teammates of 49 victories because of a $504 accounting error. When Brittany learned the news, she thought it was a joke. She was She's now turned professional, and her coach tested her, texted her an article uh, from the NCAA punishing U, uh, UMass uh, and the Amherst Women's Tennis Program for violating amateurism and removing their victories three years later because 
they had two players that got money from the school exceeding the full cost of attendance, but that was based solely on an accounting error. The school mistakenly continued to include a bill for $252,000 for telecommunications in their scholarship checks, even though they had moved out of dorms. Can you believe? I mean, okay. The question I have for you is, is the NCAA the worst? I'm going to swipe up on this. Swipe up. It doesn't take Super any time to make this decision. This is just absolute ignorance from the NCAA, and at some point you got to step back and use a little bit of common sense. I'm not surprised to see that they're incapable of doing that, but I'm also not going to pull punches when it comes to their ignorance in not doing it. So absolutely no patience for the way the NCAA has handled this. I'm swiping up, too. Swipe up. Super like. They are absolutely the worst. And the fact that we've seen them do this in so many meaningless cases, uh, it, you know, it, it's pathetic and sad. And, and they need to uh, they need to adjust the rules. But while the rules are in place, they at least need to pay attention to whether they make sense in the moment. And this one clearly does not. They have punished people for an unintentional error. I hate ending on that note, Fitz, because uh, it's a Friday. And we want we want to be happy. And I can't believe we didn't end on the does the X inch matter story instead. <laughs> 